things that people may or may not be familiar with. And Lord, I just ask that you would please help us as we attempt to preach your word in your precious name I pray. Amen. Well, we're there in Matthew chapter 23. Everything's harder with one hand. And um, if you remember last week, we dealt with the first part of Matthew 23. And tonight we're, I'm sorry, Matthew 21. Tonight we're going to begin in Matthew 23. But that's not where we left off last week. Last week we actually left off in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 21. But we left off in verse number 16. Uh, We're going to deal with verses 17 through 22 in a minute. uh, But... We're going to do with it at the end, and it kind of just sets the, the, the pattern or the time frame uh, for, for the passage. If you look at verse 23, the Bible says this, And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said. Now notice what they asked him. They say, By what authority doest thou these things? Now they asked him a very specific question. They said, What is your authority? And notice they also said this, And who gave thee this authority? The, 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 these things that they're referring to when they said, By what authority do thou these things? Is the fact that he was healing the people. Remember, the people came into the temple and he healed them. But it's also a reference to the fact that, remember we talked about last week, he entered into the temple and he threw out the money changers and he cast out the people that were selling. So they're coming to him and they're asking, you know, Basically, they're asking, who do you think you are? You know, what, who gave you this authority? Uh, you know, by what authority do all these things? And you need to understand this. The reason they're questioning the authority of Jesus Christ publicly is because they've already rejected the authority of the Lord uh, privately. They've already decided that He's not the Messiah, that He's not the Son of God, that He's not who He uh, says He is. And they are now, uh, you know, trying to argue with Him and trying to see, you know, where, where did he, does he think he gets the authority to be able to do this? Now, in rejecting the authority of Christ, they are actually rejecting the authority of the one who sent him. Which is why they ask the question, not only by what authority doest thou these things, but who gave thee this authority? Because the person that gave him the authority would be the one that sent him. And here's what you need to understand. When you reject Christ, you reject the one that sent Christ. And this this uh, this chapter, and this latter end of this chapter, kind of deals a little bit, and we're going to get into it, with the subject of the Jews. And, and as far as the Jews being God's chosen people. And, and I want to just, by the way of introduction, kind of clear up some uh, misconceptions. And some of the things I'm going to say tonight, you, you may have never heard before, but I would just say, look at the scripture and allow the, the Bible to be your authority, not tradition. But uh, keep your finger there in Matthew 21. Go to John chapter number 5, just real quickly. John chapter 5. Here's what you need to understand. When you reject Christ, you reject the one who sent Him. When you ask, when you question the authority of Jesus Christ, you automatically question the authority of the one who sent Him. The question is, by what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? And here's a misconception that a lot of people have in regards to uh, the Jews. And, and when I, we're talking about the Jews, please understand, we're not talking about a, a race of people. We're talking about the religion of Judaism and the, the, the faith system of Judaism. And today, a lot of Christians have this idea that the Jews' religion is a pretty good religion. And it, it's not bad. And they say, you know, they, they, they worship the God of the Bible. They're just kind of mixed up on Jesus Christ. But here's what you got to understand. When someone rejects Jesus Christ, they reject the God that sent Jesus. You cannot, you cannot say, well, we worship the God of the Bible, but we reject the Savior. When you question the authority of Christ, you also question the authority of the one who gave him his authority. 
In John chapter 5, look at verse number 30. The Bible says this, John 5.30. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father, which, notice this phrase, which have sent me. So according to John 5.30, who sent Jesus Christ? The Father did. According as he's doing his will, no, he's saying, I, I, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Skip down to verse 36, same chapter, John 5, 36. But I have a greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish. Notice that phrase. For the works which hath given, because in, in, in uh, we skip verses 1 through 5, but verses 1 through 5, basically Jesus is talking about the fact that John the Baptist bore witness of Christ. And he's talking about the fact that John the Baptist is the one that proclaimed the ministry of Christ. But in verse 36 he says, but I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me. Notice this, that the Father hath sent me. Verse 37, and the Father himself, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. So, Jesus is very clear of the fact that he was sent by the Father, and if you reject the, the Father, you're going to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to Matthew, but look at Matthew chapter 10. This is a verse we've already looked at, uh, but Let's look at it just real quickly. Matthew chapter number 10, and look at verse number 40. Matthew chapter number 10, and verse number 40. Matthew 10, 40 says this, He that receiveth you, receiveth me. Matthew chapter 10, and verse 40. He that receiveth you, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. You see that? You cannot receive God the Father, if you've not received God the Son. And if you reject God the Son, you will reject God the Father. Now the question, when they question Christ's authority, Christ immediately questions their intention. Go back to Matthew 21. Because they're trying to trap Jesus in His words. Keep in mind, this is the week in which He's going to be crucified. And they're trying to have something to accuse Him with. So they're asking Him this question because they're hoping that He's going to say, the authority that I have came from God, God sent me. They could then accuse Him of blasphemy, which they're going to anyway. And But His time is not yet. He knows that it's not time for Him to be crucified. So instead of answering their question, He poses a question to them. Look at verse 24. I love, I love the, the quick wit of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 24, the Bible says this, And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. So basically, he says, well, if you're going to ask me a question, let me ask you a question. And if you answer my question, I'll answer your question. So here's the question, verse 25. The baptism of John, whence, the word whence means from what place or source. He says, whence was it? He says, the baptism of John. He said, you know the ministry of John? He said, where did that ministry come from? Because remember, they're asking Jesus, where do you get your authority from? So he says, well, before I tell you where I get my authority from, let me ask you this. Where do you think John got his authority from? The baptism of John. Whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, why did ye not then believe him? Because they didn't believe John. They rejected John. So he asked them this question, and they're, they're talking amongst them. They say, well, if we say it came from heaven, he's going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you follow him? Why didn't you do what he said? Verse 26. But if we shall say of men, we fear the people. For all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, 
We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. So he asks them, he, they question his authority, he questions their intention. He says, I'll answer your question if you answer this. The baptism of John, from where was it? From where did it come? Whence was it? From heaven or where? They said, well, if we say from heaven, uh, he's going to say, why don't we believe him? If we say, uh, you know, of men, then we're afraid of the people because they thought that Jesus was a prophet. Now here's what you got to understand, okay? This little dialogue that Jesus had with the Pharisees about his authority and the authority of John the Baptist kind of sets the stage for two parables that the Lord Jesus Christ gives in response to this uh, conversation between him and the Pharisees. And he's going to begin to teach about the fact that they have not only rejected God the Father, they have rejected God the Son. And the two parables in the passage deal with the subject. The first deals with the rejection of the Father. The second deals with the rejection of the Son. Notice the parables. The first parable is about them rejecting the Father. Look at verse 28. He says, but what think ye? So they just got done with this conversation and they basically just agreed, I'm not going to answer your question, you're not going to answer my question. He says, well, let me, let me ask you another question. Let me, what do you think about this? And he begins to give a parable. Notice, he says, a certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. Now I want you to notice that he's to work in the vineyard. A certain man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented. Make note of that word, repented. He said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. Now here's what you need to understand. The first son seemed like he would not go, but went. In verse 30, he talks about the second son. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. Is that a good answer? You'd like to hear from your son when you to do something? I go, sir. But here's the problem. And went not. The second guy, the second son, seemed like he would go, but didn't. And Jesus begins to explain it, and he kind of gives us a little bit of a lesson uh, on the subject of repentance. And I'm not preaching on the subject of repentance, but it's in the text, so let's talk about it for a little bit. Look at verse 31. He says, whether of them twain, the word twain means, he's basically saying, which one of the two? He said, whether of them twain did the will of his father. They say unto him, the first. Jesus says unto them, verily, I say unto you, the publicans and the harlots... Go into the kingdom of God before you. Now here's what he's saying. They, he's basically saying the ones that initially seemed like they would not go. The ones that would have said, I will not go. Afterward repented and went. Verse 32. For John. Now here's what's interesting. Remember, Jesus just asked him a question about John the Baptist, right? About what you think about his ministry. And they refuse to answer. They're politicians. They say, well, we're not going to give you an answer because we, you know, uh, we're, we're going to look bad and we're going to offend someone and, and, and we're not going to give you an answer. And Jesus doesn't let them get away with that. He, he brings it to them, you know, and he's, he's basically going to call them out on the answer that they were not willing to give. Look at verse 32. He says, for John came unto you in the way of righteousness. And ye believed him not. Now, please make note of that phrase or underline that in your Bible. What did the Pharisees not do with John? They did not believe him. Do you see that? Ye believed him not. But, but, the publicans and the harlots believed him. So what did the publicans and the harlots do? They believed. And ye, when ye had seen it, notice this phrase, repented not afterwards. 
Now, a lot of people today are taught this word repentance. And here's what everybody says. If you talk to just the average Christian in the average church that doesn't have, you know, preach the Bible or doesn't read the Bible, you ask them, you know, about repentance. Here's what they're going to say. Well, you know, repentance is repenting of your sins. you got to repent of your sins. you got to repent of your sins to be saved. But notice, does the passage talk about repenting of your sin? Does the passage talk about sin at all? He says, hey, you didn't believe John. But the publicans believed, and he, when he had seen it, when he had seen what? When he had seen the publicans and the harlots believe the gospel message that John was preaching. He said, when he had seen it, repented not afterward. He said, you could have repented. Now, he's talking about their sin. Notice, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. You see that? See, the repenting would have got them to go from unbelief to belief. So they said, well, you got to go from sin to the Savior. you got to repent of your sin in order to be saved. But is that the context that Jesus is teaching, the doctrine of repentance? See, you got to understand this. The word repent just means to turn. And what Jesus is teaching here is that they have to go from not believing to believing. But today people are taught, no, 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 you go from sin, you turn away from sin to Jesus. But here's what you understand. Turning from your sins in order to be saved is works salvation. And if you believe that you got to give up sin or turn away from sin to be saved, you believe that you are saved by the things that you do. Let me prove it to you. Go to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 3. Look at verse number 10. Remember Jonah? Our backslidden preacher that had a great revival. Our backslidden preacher that had great numbers. People say to me, so-and-so, they must really be filled with the Spirit of God because, you know, they have so many people come to their church. Well, so did Jonah. And the Bible's pretty clear that he's backslidden. Jonah chapter 3, you can't, you can't measure spirituality by numbers. Jonah chapter 3, look at verse 10. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Remember, Jonah comes into Nineveh, preaches, and they repent. Now notice what the Bible says. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. And God saw their works. Okay, what did God see? Their works. Okay, so what he's about to explain to us that he saw, God considers what? God considers it work. Because God himself called it that. He said God saw their work. So what was their work? That they turned, that's repent, that's what the word means. That they turned from their evil way. Okay, so according to the Bible, if someone turns from their evil way, what does God consider that? He considers that work. Now look, as a saved individual, you were created for good works. As a saved individual, you once you've been saved, you should turn from sin. You ought to repent of your sins. But, if, but you should not repent of your sins in order to be saved. Because if you repent of your sins in order to be saved, you are believing in a work salvation. Now what I said right now goes against what 99% of Baptists believe, 100% of Protestants, every Catholic, every Jehovah's Witness, everybody says you got to repent of your sins. you got to repent of your sins. you got to repent of your sins. But here's question I have for you. Why don't you look at what the Bible says and put down the commentaries? Why don't you look at what the Bible says? Forget about what the preacher on YouTube said or the preacher on the television said or, or the commentary says or, or the, the, the Bible, you know, book that you... Why don't you just read the Bible? And God said when someone turned from their evil way, God saw their works. God calls it works. And 
Jesus, when he said you should have repented, he defined it as this. You should have repented by going from unbelief to belief. See, here's what you understand. An atheist has to repent in order to be saved. They have to go from not believing in God to believing in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's repenting. The Jehovah's Witness that does not believe that Jesus is God, that believes that Jesus was an angel, that believes that they are saved by the way they live their lives, they have to repent of that belief system and turn to faith in Jesus Christ. We believe that you must repent, but not of your sin. You must repent of unbelief, and that's what Jesus taught. He says you should have repented and believed. You should have turned from your belief. So don't let anybody tell you, well, you got to repent of your sins to be saved. If you believe that you are saved by repenting of your sins, then you believe you are saved by the things that you do, and that is works salvation. Go back to Matthew 21, look at verse 33. Jesus begins another parable. The first, the first parable had to do with this. Because remember, he said... He told two sons to go into the vineyard. One said, I will not go, and afterward repented and went. The other said, I go, sir, but went not. And what Jesus is teaching, is teaching, when John came, the publicans and the harlots, they acknowledged the truth, and they believed the truth. But you, when you saw it, you should have repented and believed, but you didn't. And here's what he's saying. You're the son that said, I go, sir, but didn't go. You're the religious one that looked like you should have got it. You're the one that's, you know, following the Bible and following religion and looking like you're, you know, spiritual. But you aren't going to get it because you did not believe. But the publicans and the harlots who are who, who look like the world, who look like they're not going. He said, they got it. They were the son that said, I will not go, but afterward repented. And he said, you're the son. And here's what he's saying. You rejected the father. Now, in verse 33, he begins to teach a parable about the fact that they rejected the Son. Look at verse 33. He says, here another parable. There was a certain householder, okay? Now, in this parable, the householder is God. There was a certain householder, the householder represents God, which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and led it unto the husbandman. Now, the husbandman, and I'm going to prove it to you in a minute, but the husbandman represent the nation of Israel, the physical nation of Israel at that time. So the householder planted a vineyard, hedged it round about, digged a wine press in it, and built a tower, and let it out the husbandmen, and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he, okay, the he there is the householder, right? The God, he sent his servants. Now who are these servants? The servants we find out are the prophets, okay? He, the householder, sent his servants, who he sent them to, to the husbandmen, the nation of Israel, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen, the nation of Israel, took his servants, the prophets, and beat one, and killed another, and stoned another. Not, is that not what they did to the prophets? Look verse 36. Again, he sent other servants, more prophets, more than the first. And they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son. Who do you think that is? That's Jesus. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen, now who are the husbandmen? The nation of Israel. But when the husbandmen saw the son, when the nation of Israel saw Jesus, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, 
and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. Is that not what they did to the son? Look verse 40. When the Lord therefore the vineyard cometh, what will he do to these husbands? Now this is Jesus asking the Pharisees. He says, in this story, when the Lord comes back to his vineyard, what do you think he's going to do to the husbandmen? The husbandmen are the nation of Israel. They say unto him, they answered, it's pretty clear. They answer themselves, they say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other, notice this phrase, unto other husband men. Now if the first husbandman was the nation of Israel, what do you think the other husbandmen are? Well we know this, they're probably another nation. He says, He will let out unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruit in their seasons. Now, why would he get rid of the first husbandmen and get other husbandmen? Here's why he would do it. That they would render him the fruits of their seasons. Remember parable number one? He sent the sons into what? The vineyard. Parable number two, we're still talking about that vineyard. He's saying, the original husbandmen took ownership of the vineyard. They did not realize that it was, the, it was the Lord, it was the householder that placed them there to produce fruit. They took ownership of the vineyard. They thought it was all about them. They began to slay the servants that came bringing messages from the householder. When the son came, they did not reverence him. When he came unto his own, they received him not. And they slew him and they killed him. And he says, when the Lord therefore in the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto these husbandmen? Verse 41, they say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits of their season. Now notice verse 41 again. I'm sorry, verse 42. Jesus saith unto them, did he never read in the scriptures? Now, I want you to make note of this, okay? Because we're going to look at this a, a, a little bit in, in a different passage. But just remember this. He says, did he never read in the scriptures? The stones which the, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now here's what Jesus is saying. Basically, Jesus is saying, if, if, if there were builders who were building a house, and there was a stone that they were supposed to use, if the builders decided to reject that stone, he said, it doesn't matter if the builders decide to reject the stone. That stone, the same, is become the head of the corner. Basically, Jesus is saying this. It doesn't matter what you think about me. It doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't matter uh, if you kill me. I'm still the Son of God. You can reject me, but it doesn't change who I am. And it doesn't change the fact that I'm the head of the corner. Now notice what he says. Look, look at verse 43. Therefore I say unto you. Therefore means because of this. Because of what? Because I'm the head of the corner. Because you're not going to get rid of me. Because you can reject me, and you can kill me, and you can do whatever you want to me, but I am still who I am. I am still the head of the corner. He says, therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation. Do you see that? So the husbandman, given to a nation, what is it? Bringing forth the fruits thereof. Now the question is this, what nation was that? Look at verse 44. And whosoever, I, I like how Jesus said, says, and whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it, 
it will grind him to powder. Here's what Jesus is saying. You cannot, you, he says, you, you will have a relationship with the stone. He said, you will either fall on the stone and it will break you. And that terminology of being broken throughout scripture is used in regards to being humbled. You will either come to that stone and, 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 and become broken as a result of it. And humble yourself and submit yourself to that stone. Or, notice the second part of the verse. But on whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. You can either get broken on that stone, or that stone can break on you. You will either be humbled by that stone, and be saved by that stone, or that stone will bring judgment. Now, keep, keep all that in mind. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's, let's, uh, let's look at this just real quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2, towards the end of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, I'm going to give it to another nation. Now, what nation was that? This is the United States of America. I'll tell you right now, it's not. <laughs> what nation is it that he's going to give the vineyard to? First Peter chapter 2, look at verse 6. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Wherefore, also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, a life precious, and he that, notice this word, believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stones with the builders just loud, the same is made the head of the corner. Is that not exactly what Jesus was talking about? Now notice what he says. Notice how all of this flows together. Verse 8. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye, but ye... Now you understand this, okay? Peter is talking to Gentiles. If you look at the first uh, few verses of the of the of the book, he's talking to Gentiles, and he says, "But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him that had called you out of darkness into His marvelous light." Verse ten, which in time past, notice, which in time past were not a people. But now the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So, Jesus, in Matthew, talks about this stone which the builders rejected, which if you fall on it, you'll get broken. But if it falls on you, it will grind you. And in that same breath, Jesus says, and by the way, while I'm talking about the stone, let me go ahead and tell you that I'm going to choose another nation. I'm going to choose another people. I'm going to choose someone else because you have rejected not only the Father, but you have rejected the Son because you rejected the prophets because you're going to kill me. Uh, we're going to choose another nation and give the vineyard to another nation. Now that nation was not a nation that already existed. It was not a country that was already... It wasn't because if he gave it to the United States of America, we would have got proud and arrogant like the Jews did. So he said, I'm going to take a people that were not a people. He said, I'm going to take a nation that is not a nation. And I'm going to make them a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Which in time past were not a people. But are now the people of God. Who are those people? Those are believers today. And Jesus already said it earlier in the passage. We looked at it last week. Remember, the Bible says that the house of God should be called a house of prayer to all nations. See, this new nation, this, we're not connected to this new nation by our genealogy. We're not connected to this new nation by who you were born to. 
We're not connected to this new nation by our lineage. This nation is made up of all nations. This nation is made up of all people. And what connects us is our faith in Jesus Christ. But here's what you understand. The nation of Israel was rejected. And God said, I'm going to give you a new nation. So today, preachers get up and say, you got to pray for Israel. And we got to support Israel. And I'm going to wear a tie that has the Israeli flag on it. And look, we're not against the people that are living in Israel. And, and we're not, you know, we're not anti-Semitic and all those things. We're, we're not talking about being racist. But you need to understand this. Any religion that rejects Christ is a false religion. And we stand up and say, the Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult because they reject Christ as Savior, as Messiah, as God. The Mormons are a cult because they reject Christ as Savior, as Messiah, as the only God. But then we stand up and say, but the Jews are alright. When they do the exact same thing. When they have rejected Christ as Messiah. Look, they've been rejected. You just got to get over it. Understand? Now look, any Jewish person can repent... And turn from their unbelief in Christ and begin to believe in Christ and they can become part of this new nation. But the nation of Israel has been rejected. And here's when it happened. When they killed the son. That was their last chance. He said, I'll send you a prophet. He said, okay, I'll send you another one. You beat one. You stoned another. You killed another. He said, he said I'll send you another one and I'll send you another one and I'll send you another one. And he says, but last of all, he said, I'll send my son. They'll reverence my son. Surely they'll reverence my son. And when they rejected the son, he said, I'm done. He said, we're turning to another nation. He said, he, in some ways, and I, I almost don't want to use this word because it, it's going to open up a, a can of worms. But in, in some ways, just like we believe an individual can reject God and reject God and reject God so much that they eventually cross a line where God rejects them, the entire nation of Israel did that. Now, I'm not talking about the individuals that became reprobates. That's not what I'm saying. But the nation lost its opportunity to repent. And God said to the nation, the entire whole, He said, I'm done with you and I'm choosing another nation. Who are God's chosen people today? It's you and I. It's not the Jews. It's very clear in Scripture that the Jews have been rejected by God. Why? Because God, because they rejected God first multiple, multiple times. Go to Matthew 21, look at verse 45. And just to prove his point, Matthew 21 and verse 45. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. I mean, I don't know how, you know, they perceive that he's fake of them. He basically said, I'm talking about you. <laughs> and they're like, I think he's talking about us. Verse 46. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. He, isn't, the, the Pharisees just show you the typical religious leader. Why did they want to say what they believed about John the Baptist? Because they were afraid. Why don't they want to take Jesus now? They fear the multitude. They're just afraid of what people are going to say or think or do. And they're just politicians. And that, unfortunately, is what the average religious leader is today. Look at verse 18. Remember we skipped, we skipped uh, 18 through 22? 18 through 22 kind of set the stage. It was Jesus almost playing out what was about to happen in the rest of the passage. But let's look at it now. Matthew 21 and verse 18. This all happened before the conversation. This all kind of Jesus just playing out what's about to happen. Matthew 21 and verse 18, the Bible says, Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. Jesus hungered. He desired something. 
And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. Now here's what you gotta understand. Remember the first parable? There was two sons. And one son looked like he was going to go. One son said, I go sir, but when not? And Jesus is illustrating what he's about to teach through this parable. Because he comes up to this, uh, to this fig tree and he sees leaves on the fig tree. The fig tree looks good. It looks like it's going to produce something. Verse 19, and when he saw the fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. He said, you look like you would go into the vineyard. He said, you look like you would produce fruit. He said, you look like what you would think a tree that produces fruit would look like, but when I came to you, there was no fruit, and notice, and said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. What is he saying? I'm rejecting this tree. He said, he said you know, I'm sick and tired of you not producing fruit. And you say, well, what did Jesus have against this tree? He didn't have anything against the tree. He's using the tree as an example about the lesson we just learned about the Jews. He said, I came down here myself, to see if you would give me the fruit. And he said, all I found was leaves. Let no fruit grow on the henceforward forever. And presently, notice, and presently the fig tree withered away. We have a little lesson on prayer here. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which, the, which is done to the fig tree, but also ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea. It shall be done in all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. And he teaches a little bit about prayer in regards to the fact that we have to pray believing. But here's what you got to understand, okay? Here's what you got to understand. Why did God choose Abraham? Why did God choose a nation? What was the purpose? Was it because they were special? Was it because they were better than everyone else? Was it because they were they were just better than anyone else on earth? No. They were, God chose them for one reason. To produce fruit. And when they did not produce fruit, He rejected them because they either did not go into the vineyard, or when they went into the vineyard, they would not give Him the fruit that was supposed to come from the vineyard. Or when He goes up to this tree with all these leaves, and He realizes there's no fruit, He says, I have no need. And why did He choose another nation? Why did He choose us? Was it because we were special? Was it because we were great? Was it because we were, you know, we're just so great and we're just so holy? God needed us? No. God chose you and God chose me for the same reason He chose the Jews was to produce fruit. So here's the question I have for you. Are you producing fruit? What is your involvement in producing fruit in the vineyard? Well, I, you know, I come to church and I'm here on a Wednesday night. Obviously, I love God and, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the things of God, but, you know, I just this whole soul winning thing and preaching the gospel to people. It's just not really what I'm involved in. Oh, so you're the son that says, I go, sir, and whatnot. You look good here on a Wednesday night. I know, you look good. But are you a tree with a bunch of leaves and no fruit? So you can understand this. God did not choose you because you're special. God chose you to produce fruit. So I would challenge you. Get involved in producing fruit. It's the only way to please God. That's by our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be able to study your word. Lord, I know it's just a basic lesson out of the word of God. Father, I pray that you would always help us to have this mindset that there is nothing special about us. And all you want from us is to produce fruit. 
you are frustrated with leaves and no fruit. Help us not look good and not produce. Help us to be interested in the things that will bring fruit, that will allow us to reproduce ourselves, to see people saved. In the precious name of Christ.